It's a mean world out there. And it's a mean rage. Let's change the culture. Let's change the way we think about this world. Let's have a hell of a time doing it. Welcome to Mean Age Daydream, a home for comedy, a home for some politics, and a daydream of a world that doesn't suck. I'm Brian McWilliams. Welcome to this man world. Welcome back to Mean Age Daydream, you and me and all the leprechauns you dream about in your uh, fantasies. Yes, we're all here together once again. So welcome back to the show, everybody. Been an interesting week. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, a little bit of drama for your mama going on in the old libertarian space here. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, you know, it's just, I don't feel like doing it. Plus this is going to be a little short episode today. I've got a big uh, gala event for a client of mine who I'll give a little free plug CASA. Uh, if you're not familiar with CASA, they are an organization court appointed special advocates. If you have some extra time, if you want to help out foster kids who we know are screwed by the system, by the government, by the, uh, the powers that be more often than not, and end up in pretty horrible circumstances, look into this organization. They do uh, some great work, but I got their big thing tonight. So I have to keep this short as I have to do a lot more stuff and I'm really looking forward to having this behind me because for those of you that don't know, live events when you work in the PR biz are awful. They just suck all the air out of the room. It's a lot of pressure for one big night. And, uh, you know, it's funny. We had two years of COVID, right? And everybody did virtual gala events and virtual streaming events, and they all sucked, right? Inevitably, they all sucked. We saw what happened with the Oscars when that was streaming, right? Sucked. So now coming back into it, I'm trying to get media to come out and cover these events. And it's fascinating because basically a half an industry got wiped out. You know, the entertainment press, they would go to red carpets. They'd get a lot of interviews. They'd send photographers. They'd send whatever. I'm trying to get people to come to this event and I'm finding out half these people are gone. Like one of the biggest photo agencies in the world was called WEN, W-E-N-N. They are now toast after 65 years, basically taken out by the pandemic because what was there to shoot? You know, sporting events. And even then, you know, it's basically covered by the sports themselves. So you could send some people, but not enough to keep it going. So interesting stuff. But- I want to talk about a couple different things. We're talking about press relations. We're talking about maybe let's get into press secretaries because Jen Psaki, Psaki, Jen Psaki is out. She is now naturally going to go take a job. I can't remember if it's at CNN or MSNBC. Really, who cares? You know, her her reach as a person has now been greatly limited because she's now going to be on one of two networks that have dwindling viewership numbers as they become uh, ultra woke. And as we know, the majority of Democrats are now watching Tucker Carlson, oddly enough, I guess, like him or hate him. It's like the old Howard Stern thing. Maybe half the people turn in because they hate him, but they want to see what he's going to say. I like to think that a lot of people are just turning in because they actually like what he has to say. And uh, in their secret hearts of hearts, they know that he's talking a lot of sense a lot of the time, despite a New York Times piece that dredged up 9,000 hours and you know spent nine editors writing about how Tucker Carlson has profited off, quote unquote, uh, white fear. <laughs> but that's the state of journalism. So anyway, Jen Psaki's out. And they've replaced her with a brand new gal, a, a nice uh, shiny pony named Corinne Car- uh, Jean-Pierre. I'm sure I'm saying that correctly because you know I never mispronounce anything on this show. Corinne Jean-Pierre. 
who is the first openly black, openly gay, and openly female, which you know, it's, you know, you don't know if we're openly female or not these days. It could be a dangerous proposition for you. But she is the first black, gay, female press secretary. And I guess that Biden was like, yeah, what do we have? We had a uh, almost albino in there last time, you know, with Psaki, just super white, burns the retinas looking at her with her bright ginger hair. And, uh, and of course, she shined extra brightly because of her uh, her cunty demeanor, really put an extra sheen. I was like a shellac over her features at all times, reflecting in the bright lights of the press room. So she has been replaced with this Kareem gal. And I just think it's so funny because you got, okay, so you got a black woman, she's gay, and she's uh, she's out there telling the lies to the American population, right? And all these press secretaries, their job is solely to lie to you. And even if it's somebody that you might like, I don't know, if they hired old uh, old Conan O'Brien and trotted him out there, right? You know, male Jen Psaki, and he started lying to you. The point is, they're still lying to you. That is their job. If you think the press secretary is telling you the truth, you are an idiot and a buffoon. So the funny thing about this now is that, okay, if she goes and tells me that the Ukraine war is all for the best, if she goes and tells me, as Biden has said, that inflation is due to quote unquote ultra MAGA, (laughs) which I don't even know what the fuck ultra MAGA is, (laughs) what it can mean, but apparently it's a catch all bandaid for everything. But if she tells me ultra MAGA is to blame for inflation instead of the insane amount of uh, spending and Ukraine policy and food shortages from lockdowns and all this other shit. Well, if I push back on her, is it now hate speech? Right? Is this, I, <laughs> you can see how they're going to set this up. Just like when Barack Obama was in office and any criticism of Obama, well, that was just because you were racist. You can see how this strategically now, right? They're backed into a corner wherein the most of America is against the war in Ukraine. And they're explicitly against uh, American troops going into Ukraine. And actually, it was interesting. I, so Retalk, which is a, a good social networking site, if you guys aren't familiar, I had the CEO Pete Zaborski on the show before, and I encourage you to check it out. Retalk just did a poll. And I, had, uh, I was looking at this poll, but 60% of people, that they polled internationally on this so- social site. And it was something like 3,500 votes, pretty good number. And predominantly American, right? I think it's like 95% American. Well, they said, what do you want to do in Ukraine? Do you want, you know, do you want the United States to pull out of NATO and just say, get, leave us the hell alone? You know, it's not our problem. Do you want the Russians to, or do you want America to go in and, and support, you know, support Ukraine with money and weaponry like we've been doing? Do you want us to attack Russia? And 60% of the people polled on that networking site, and this, this site predominantly is, uh, right, you know, center and center, right, right. That's kind of the goal. It's the non-woke social network. So center and center, right. But 60% said, get us out of NATO. Now, maybe Democrats who have all been confused and convinced by the Ukrainian flag symbols, which of course, like a moth to a flame, they couldn't resist putting on their social media profiles. Maybe they are into staying in NATO, which again, I'm not sure what the argument would be for that, but Maybe they're for it, but you're seeing the conservative side, which you'd think would be more pro-NATO, pro-getting involved with the empire building, pro, you know, oh, we have to go and fight them on uh, the foreign shores or else they're going to come home and get us. 
they're turning on it. So you've got Biden painted you know, a bit of a corner in Ukraine on inflation, on COVID, right? And they're still pushing, get boosted, get vaccinated, even though every single Democratic mayor and now all these aides in the White House are testing positive for COVID. But they all, you know, thank God I'm boosted and vaccinated or, you know, I'd fall over in the streets. So they're painted in a corner here. What an ace in the hole they're pulling out. I could make a, mm, mm, I almost made a different card reference there. I almost, I almost put a suit to the card, which would have definitely gotten me canceled. <laughs> I'll let your minds, I'll let your minds fill in the blanks there on the joke I could have said, um, but I'm not going to. Well, they pull out the ace card in this uh, gay black woman. And uh, yeah, can't criticize her guys. Hate speech. Not allowed. No lies can be challenged in the Biden administration, lest it be labeled as such. So anyway, I thought that was pretty fucking funny. Um, you know, one of the other things I want to talk about, too, while we're just uh, kind of chatting here, because naturally she's going to be taking a lot of questions about Roe versus Wade. And we're seeing basically the predictable outcome of somebody leaking this document early. And that, of course, makes me think that, well, I, you know, it could be either side. We just don't know. Could be either side. I still think it is on the Democratic side to intimidate. And there you go. We're seeing people ride in the streets. We're seeing people track down and burn. I shouldn't say track down. We're seeing people burn down uh, pro-life organizations, houses. We're seeing them paint slogans. If, you know, if, if uh, you're not safe, if the abortion rights of women aren't safe, something like that, somebody painted on a, on a, a place they burned down. But we're also seeing that because the addresses of the Supreme Court justices have been released, they've been quote-unquote doxxed, well, we're seeing people go into their neighborhoods and protest outside of their houses. Now, I'm a little torn on this because on one side of things, I do think you should be able to publicly protest a decision like this. You know, your leaders should be held accountable. When we think of the old leaders and the Bastille days and uh, the French Revolution, well, they certainly knew where those people lived and they certainly got to them, <laughs> right? Now, I'm not advocating a type of mob violence like that, nor do I ever advocate any mob violence. But when we look at the rights of people to protest, if this is something that they truly believe in, and we know this issue is something that is so divisive. It is something that's so core to so many people's beings. You can understand, while not advocating for it, you can understand why these people would say, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to go to their house. Now, I don't approve of this. I think that that if you're going to protest, it should be kept to the public areas, right? It should be a protest at the Supreme Court. And I do think you cross a line and it becomes intimidation and harassment, which is illegal, you know, harassment is, in fact, illegal. So that is a crime. And these people, I think, after you're there, okay, you're there for an hour, go the fuck home. All right? And don't come back. This is a private residence. This is a family that lives there. You know, I think that the police should do something. But I do understand how people could say, well, if this is so core to my being and my my beliefs, and I think that my autonomy as a woman uh, is being attacked by this, Okay, I get it. Just like I get these pro-life people going out and, you know, going to abortion clinics and standing and protesting there. But again, the difference is that's a place of business. And not to say that pro-life people haven't attacked abortion doctors before, which I also don't agree with. But to the same extent, when you have this topic, it's easy to understand how somebody could get so riled up and so inflamed 
if you're protecting the life of a baby, in your opinion, and stopping a murder, well, if you saw somebody on the street who was about to be killed and you would intervene to stop that person from being killed, you can see how morally and ethically it's a very simple argument to say, well, I'm seeing a doctor about to go and kill a baby and I know that's what's going to happen. So why would I not kill that person first, right? This is a, a fairly simple argument that nobody wants to acknowledge, but it is there. Now, <laughs> getting back to this whole, this whole concept, I mean, I just... I hope that these justices don't have physical violence come to them. I hope that there's no shootings. I hope that there's no, you know, attacks on their houses. But the more you see police not doing anything, the more these crowds are going to feel that they have that, I guess, unspoken permission. Just like we saw with the BLM riots where the cops didn't do anything and they accelerated and you had people getting beaten in the streets and you had people's houses being burned down and you had people's businesses being looted and you had all, you know, really heinous actions because the police didn't do anything. You looked at Seattle and you had entire city blocks taken over by lunatics who, of course, went in and become authoritarians, even though they're supposed to have this commune and had all their guns and everything. Everything that they would say that they were against, they, of course, adopted and put into place, including uh, racial divides. <laughs> so interesting how that plays out. But the tacit approval from the police in these regions is what is permitting it, right? And when you have something like this, you need to have that rule of law. You have to uphold the standards, like the, the civil standards of our society. And we can't let it simply devolve into this kind of, uh, you know, whatever I don't like, well, now I can go to somebody's house and try to scare them into doing my bidding. And if they don't want to be scared, well, then I guess we're just going to have to take it up a notch. Like you can see how this is not going to be good for society as a whole. And I think the average person, despite what Pelosi might say, despite the psychotics like Lori Lightfoot, who, by the way, a little Beetlejuice there, just tweeted out that because of the Roe vs. Wade decision, LGBTQ people have to consider it a call to arms. This is her exact words, a call to arms, because she feels now the Supreme Court's going to come after them. I didn't think Roe vs. Wade would happen this way, um, admittedly. I don't think there's any way in hell that the LGBTQ community has anything to worry about when it comes to marriage rights and, and that sort of thing. Again, I don't believe marriage is anywhere in the Constitution either, which is, I guess, what they could be concerned about. They could throw that back to states' rights, but I don't know. Maybe I'll be wrong on that too. Maybe I'll be wrong on that too. Um, however, the emphasis from a mayor in one of the most violent cities, most gun crime riddled cities where children are being shot every single weekend saying, well, this has to be a call to arms is both fucking stupid, inflammatory, dangerous, and so ignorant of the basics that are going around her, right? How, if you're fucking Lori Lightfoot, you're going to tell people that now's the call to arms. You're going to you're going to inflame people even further. You're going to call essentially this is a call for violence, right? A call to arms is a call to violence in a city where there are fucking 15 shootings every weekend. <laughs> can can this can this Kareem Jean-Pierre go and work for her and be like, "Look, you got to shut up. <laughs> you got to stop." 
You know, it's where it's bad enough. Usually when people are as ugly as Lori Lightfoot, at least they've got some sort of intellectual heft. You know, they can speak well. You'd be like, okay, well, she's making up for it. She's a poet, this woman. You know, give her the, the poet laureate or whatever. Not Lori Lightfoot. No, she uh, she is truly an embarrassing moron when it comes to politics, when it comes to policy, and when it comes to just basic statements of logic. So anyway, uh, there's that. Now, I'm going to get into the title of the episode, which is, um, you know, taking out the middlemen, because in the spirit of the mean age daydream here, you know, one of the things I want to focus on is the middleman society we've adopted. But before we do, I want to tell you guys two things. Number one is please go and check out not only our Patreon, but also the Lions of Liberty a Locals page. So patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. You'll get my morning rants in there. Good morning, fuckhead, which are fantastic. And of course, some extra bonus content. I'm going to be live streaming this show. Couldn't do it today because I have to get this done early. But uh, live streaming on a for, you know, pretty much regular basis and also, you know, conspiracy corner shows and you know, different bonus content. So check that out. And then of course it's lines, liberty.locals.com. And also if you're going to be at, uh, speaking of locals, I'm going to be an Oxnard, uh, hanging out at the Dave Rubin event. So if you're there, come up, say hello to me. I'm also going to be speaking at the freedom fest event coming up. I'm going to get a link from them. So you guys, if you want to go, you can get a discounted link to come see and, uh, hang out at freedom fest in Vegas. That's going to be fun time. going to be taking part in some panels there. And of course I should tell you guys too. If you want to come and see me do some stand-up as well as Robbie Bernstein, Robbie the Fire, doing his stand-up uh, set, probably going to be a, probably 40 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes from him, and maybe some special guests, well, good news, because his porch tour is coming to my house. I just today confirmed the porta potty for my yard. It's serious, and it's happening. So I'll put the link in the show notes of that as well. And come on out. we got tickets on sale. Make sure to grab one. I think it's probably going to sell out. So make sure to do that. That's on May 21st. Okay. So, oh, and also, by the way, before I forget, they have three different feeds here, or we have three different feeds at the Lions of Liberty Network. If you want to listen to just one, if you want to listen to Just Mean Age Daydream, we've got that feed. It's in that. Just search for it in your iTunes. Same thing with Finding Freedom and same thing with our flagship show with Mark Claire. So make sure if you don't want to hear all of them, you can click one or the other, but you do get a little bit more content with the main feed. All right, get back into it. So I'll finish up with the Middleman Society stuff, but I wanted to share this, which is so aggravatingly perverse, but it confirms everything that we knew going into COVID about masking. And it's from this woman, Lori Garrett, who was the 2018 keynote to the National Academy of Medicine. So let me go ahead and share my screen so you can hear this lovely woman tell you exactly what you already knew and confirm that Masking has always been a sham and it has no intention of doing anything other than scaring you into submission. So let me mute myself and then we'll play this clip. There's only a couple of countries that have ever really done large scale studies to try and figure out what might work. Japan, it may not surprise you, is one of them. And they, in one of their large studies, they basically showed that the masks, the, it seemed like the major efficacy of a mask is that it causes alarm in the other person. <laughs> and so you stay away from each other. And that's what I think happened with SARS. 
when I was in the SARS epidemic, I saw everywhere all over Asia, people started wearing these masks. And it is alarming when you walk down the street and everybody coming towards you has a mask on. You definitely do social distancing. You definitely, it's just a, a gut thing. But did the mask really help them? Did the mask keep the virus out? Almost certainly not. If, they, if the virus was in their, around their face, the mask would not have made the difference. There's only a couple there you go. So there you see it, right? If the, <coughs> excuse me, if the virus was around their face, the mask certainly did nothing to help with. And yet you've got Fauci out here telling us, oh, the masking is helping. Oh, you got a double mask. Oh, you got a triple mask. We got a mask on airplanes. You got to wear masks in the subway. All bullshit. All bullshit. Now, hopefully... Roe vs. Wade doesn't overtake so much of the lies that have come out of the government in regards to COVID, in regards to inflation, in regards to warfare, in regards to everything else in our world about the shutdown and what we've gone through the last two years. Hopefully Roe vs. Wade doesn't overtake that, right? It will be a central factor coming up in these elections, but we can't let these people forget. We have to keep echoing this message. We have to keep telling people what's going on and how these people knew about it and lied straight to our faces about this bullshit. Because I understand, right, how the government would want to push this masking and say, well, you know, well, it'll keep people from getting close to each other. Because we already know they push the six foot social distancing, which is also based in nothing and also clearly didn't work. Had never been tested before, but yet everybody, because of talks like this, because of talks from other people, everybody decided that, well, why don't we just give it a shot and force this on people and all through society and see if it works. I have a lot less problem with social distancing than I do with the vaccines, which if you didn't notice, Pfizer just dumped a bunch of data, which certainly shows that there was a lot of danger to pregnant women, certainly shows that the efficacy of the, of the vaccine was nowhere near to 95%, was closer to 12% from some of the stats that I've seen. But, you know, I'd rather accept them going, hey guys, tell you what, spread out a little bit. You know, we're just going to ask you to do this. We don't know if this is going to work, but we're going to try it and we'll see if it works. But the masking, they clearly know was bullshit. She's laid it out right there. They knew it the whole time. Every study that's come out said that it was bullshit. A new recent study that came out showed once again, the mask did literally nothing. But isn't it refreshing to hear somebody tell you straight to your face, oh no, we just made you wear them because we wanted you to be scared of other people. Cool. Wonderful. Couldn't we have done it with more fun masks then? Couldn't we have worn you know, werewolf masks around? We, every day is Halloween, everybody. And then the girls could have worn all their sexy outfits. Oh, what a wonderful, talk about a mean age daydream. Mm, sexy time all the time. Girl Scouts here. Sexy librarians over there. <laughs> we really leaned into it as a society. And then with the aliens coming and visiting us, this new congressional panel on aliens, these aliens are going to get a treat. They're going to land and be like, what a fantastic cavalcade we've got down here. It's a real smorgasbord. Everybody's different. Oh, wonderful. And then they keel over from the pretend virus, just like in the War of the Worlds. But this does showcase 
These people have no problem scaring you. We know for a fact that the media intentionally scared you. We know for a fact that the government intentionally tried to scare you. And Fauci admitted as much in an interview from, I don't know, seven, eight months ago that yes, he had overplayed what COVID could do to you and overplayed the danger of this intentionally to scare the American population into compliance. If they're willing to do it over something as innocuous as or innocuous as a, a virus that takes out, you know, 0.04% of healthy people, uh, of course they're going to lie to you about everything else. Of course they have no problem using fear as a tactic in everything that they do. The war on terror, which has probably even less chance of killing you than COVID, uh, vastly less chance of killing you than COVID. And you know, getting off on a little side tangent here too. I saw somebody talk about what uh, must have been some stupid tweet. I saw some stupid tweet about somebody saying, "Well, prove to me where Ron Paul was right about blowback, because I haven't seen terrorist attacks in the United States ground, and we've been over there." Well, you know, he was right about the nine eleven attack, which now we're seeing direct connections with the Saudi Arabian government. By the way, let's see what happens with that, but. I guess their point is, well, we're still over there and we haven't been attacked again. Okay, well, it's not easy to attack America, number one, which is why Americans are so enamored or at least so uh, tolerant of the war state because we are very hard to attack. We are across the world from most of the places that we're bombing. But to tangibly appreciate blowback, it's not just if we are physically attacked by these people. The blowback that we experience is also in the fear in our everyday lives, right? And I talk about how one of the things I want to eliminate is fear. Government is fear, right? Liberty is eliminating fear from your life. And the government is the number one purveyor of fear. Now, the government's delivering you this fear in telling you that the terrorists are out there nonstop, in the corporate media that's complicit in echoing every government narrative that comes out so that you know the government and the terrorists, and they're, oh, they're here, they're, they're, they're hiding in every street corner, they're in your closet, they're under your bed, they're, they might be up your ass, don't wipe too deep, there may be a terrorist in there with a knife. You know, this, this horseshit. But they want to use that fear to continue to control you, to continue to bleed you dry and use your taxes to kill other people on your behalf, right? So that's one aspect of blowback too, that people don't want to acknowledge that it's not just about the actual physical damage. It's about the blowback that is government fear, government control. It's about government spying apparatus being put into place. It is about government propaganda and disinformation that is going and twisting the minds of the population. It is about government taking your children and sending them overseas to die. Even that, even just taking them and sending them away can give them you know, mental issues and PTSD. It's about the government blowback that is involved in dealing with all of the war state here at home. Even if, if even we aren't attacked, we've got this massive population of people that have disabilities now that have been lost limbs, that have lost their minds, that are suiciding themselves, that can't get the help that they need, that are out there homeless. This is blowback. It's all blowback. Understand? All of it is blowback. Just because blowback gets defined by certain people that embrace the war state, embrace the U.S. hegemony, 
doesn't mean that we're still not feeling the effects of it. Every time you're in line at the TSA and you miss your flight, that's called blowback. Alex, blowback. That's what I'm going to call my Jeopardy theme show about blowback. I'm going to be hosting it in a mustache and a wig, not with cancer though, as Alex blowback. All right. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about sometimes. <laughs> okay. Um, last last thoughts on the show here, right? I, so I want to talk about the middleman economy, right? And how when we talk about how liberty and how freedom and free markets need to be put into place, what we talk about human interactions. When we talk about freedom, talk about human interactions who freely associate with people of your choosing. And that comes to bear in a lot of circumstances where we now have this economy, this society of middlemen. Think about it. Everything's a middleman. When you deal with your healthcare, right? That's one issue. Everybody wants better healthcare. Everybody wants cheaper healthcare. The reason your healthcare is so astronomically expensive is because of middlemen. There are so many layers of middlemen from the people that have to assess how much your insurance costs, the people that have to process it, the people that have to quantify that you got your insurance with the government to make sure that you're paying your proper amount under Obamacare to the government workers that have to ring that up on the IRS, the, you know, the government workers that have to apply the regulations. These are all middlemen that add an astronomical amount to every transaction. And it's not just in healthcare, right? Think about virtually every single thing in your life that you're dealing with. And in my vision of the future, in my vision of a libertarian free future, let's not even say libertarian, in my vision of just a better future, we are getting the people that we want to talk to on the phone directly. We're dealing with them directly with their people that work directly for them. If I want to go to the doctor, I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to make an appointment with his assistant. I'm going to go in. I'm going to see his nurse. I'm going to see him and I'm going to be done. And I'm going to send them a check directly. If I want to go and have my kid's education taken care of, I'm not going to go to a school and find 50 different bureaucratic assholes standing in the way to stop my kid from getting what they need. And I can tell you for a fact, when you look at healthcare, or I'm sorry, if you look at education spending, right? I'll do, I'll use Los Angeles school to, uh, right in my backyard as an example. The teachers just went on strike, but they get paid more than almost any other teachers in the country already. And the LAUSD already has almost more money than any other school district in the country. So what's the problem? The problem is that LAUSD, like all of these other school districts, gets given all this money. But they don't spend it on the teachers. They don't spend it on the books. They don't spend it on the students. They spend it on administrators to make their lives easier because they are part of the government bureaucracy. The administrators are put into place to help with the school and looking better for the government to get more funding allocated, right? They're the ones that have to calculate the tests. They're the ones that have to deal with the student scores. They're the ones that have to make sure that they deal with the parents to keep the parents placated when their kids are having horrible educations. They're the ones that are going ahead and making sure that all the information is sent through to the government to make sure that they check all the boxes to get even more state funding for the next year so they can hire more administrators to do more state-funded work to get more money. You see how the cycle completes itself. There was something like a stat that the school districts, you know, co- countrywide had expenditures of something like added like 60% of their budget just in administrators. These are middlemen. 
These are people between you and the education that you want for your child, right? Apply it to, what do you want? Starting a business. How many people that come to your office that have to go through regulation? How many files you have to, or how many taxes you have to file? How many papers you have to go through? How many people have to come and make sure that you're environmentally friendly, that your building is up to code? If you want to change and move a desk from one side of the room to the other side of the room, well, you got to get a permit for that, right? More middlemen. You can't just start a business. You can't just go say, here's a piece of land and build it. You have to start a business. You have to construct it. You have to get 50 people involved in the construction of it. The point being, like, I'm not going to go through every example of this, but the point being is that every single thing we deal with in our lives, almost without any failure, is rife with middlemen, adding cost, adding uh, basically a nice level of cushion, not only for the state to depend on, right? It's a nice cushion to draw more money out of you, to draw more time out of you, and don't have any delusions about... It's not just about money. You have to understand this. When we come to giant bureaucracies, and this comes to you know, giant companies too, but the state is a giant bureaucracy, you know, this giant evil, uh, evil uh, mafia corporation that is specifically exists to elicit pain, as I had mentioned in a previous episode, pain and fear. Well, don't be confused when you wonder why you sit on hold for a long time with the government. When you sit in a waiting room to get anything done with the government. The government, I think, could be more efficient, right? And while we can jokingly say, well, we don't want it to be more efficient because then it's just going to screw things up faster. I'm telling you, all of these middlemen, all of these layers give the government a cushion wherein your time is so absolutely worthless to them, but so valuable to you, right? They know that. So these layers of government, these cushions they're putting in there are designed not to be effective, not to be efficient, but to tax your time, to tax your energy, to wear you down to the point where you are going to be compliant, where you're going to stop resisting, where you're going to give up and stop being angry and stop fighting and stop pushing to get what you want and just go, you know what, man, fuck it. It's designed to beat you down. And what I want, what we all should want and should be working towards is to get rid of that nice fat layer that exists around the government and get rid of the cushion that taxes our time and our money and be able to get straight to what we want. Deal with the people we want directly. And even if that happens to be the government, get rid of the time taxers. Get rid of the energy vampires to take a term from one of the greatest shows, what we do in the shadows uh, that's on TV right now. The government, middlemen, every sort of middlemen are energy vampires sucking you dry. And you have to realize that, guys, this is what we have to fight against. This is the future we need to envision where we don't have to deal with that shit anymore. All right. I'm done. I got to go. I got to get stuff done. So hope you enjoyed the show. Again, remember guys, we've got our individual feeds. Go find Mean Age Daydream. Go find Mark's show. Go find Odie's show. We got the three feeds or you can get it right here in the Lions of Liberty Network. Don't forget to support us, subscribe, share the show, tell a friend. And uh, if you're going to Reno, I will also be there. So if you want to see me, come up, say hi, but make sure you subscribe to the podcast. I will ask you to show me that you are subscribed first. If you dare to come up to me without having a subscription to my show on the podcast, I will flick you right in the dick or labia. That is a promise from me to you. All right, guys, from me, 
Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty Network and from Mean Age Daydream. Keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that ray gun to my head.